Recovery Elevator, episode 431. Gives you the chance to start working on yourself. You can find your purpose again. You can be there for your kids. You can go on a walk and breathe in fresh air and feel gratitude. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four, down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I am so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Katie. She's 40 years old from Olympia, Washington, and took her last drink on February 12th, 2023. Great job, Katie. Join Recovery Elevator and myself in Atlanta, Georgia, this Sunday, May 28th at 6 p.m. for a fun conference-style event in the Marriott Hotel in Alpharetta. This event is all about getting your connect on, and it's going to be a fun time. You can even stick around later for some silent disco if you'd like. Spouses and loved ones are encouraged to attend. There is a link in the show notes for more information. Thank you, Robin. Cafe RE members, we have added a fitness chat to our Cafe RE chat schedule on Sundays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Thank you for teaching, Paul Lapine. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe RE chat hosts. You guys do such a good job. And listeners, today is going to be a good day. Today has already been a good day. All right, before we get any further, let's hear from Exact Nature. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery. Recently, I've been taking Exact Nature's Z's pills and sleeping so well. These products are 100% THC-free, and they can be a great tool for your recovery. Learn more at exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Okay, let's get started. This is the first time being behind the mic after our recent sober travel trip in Costa Rica. Thank you to all those who attended, those who came willing and open. Overall, it was a fantastic trip. The best part by far about doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is seeing the transformation that people can make. About 35% of our travelers this year went on the last Costa Rica trip. Unequivocally, with every single one of the repeat travelers, I was able to see their growth from the previous year almost immediately. It's hard to pinpoint. For some, it's a new haircut, maybe new hair color, maybe it's an energy thing, but the transformation is always in the smile. There's transformation in the gait or how people walked. Their pace had changed. Some people hold themselves differently now. And for one individual, the posture has changed. And I think one of my favorite memories from the trip is at our last hotel, there was a raised yoga platform that was about eye level with the canopy of a mango tree. A group of us walked out onto the platform at sundown only to have an iguana thrown at us from the alpha male in a pack of howler monkeys that had made the decision to spend the night there in the mango tree that evening. Shortly after that, I asked my buddy Kevin to record a video of me playing ukulele to the monkeys, which I now found myself eye level two. I can't tell you for certain, but it seems when I played a a chord, the monkey would then respond with a call. 
Regardless, thank you, Sobriety, for giving me a moment where I can play the ukulele to a pack of monkeys in the trees before darkness consumes the jungle. Let's role play for a second, and I'm in the rapid fire round. Hey, Paul, what's your best moment in Sobriety? Well, a recent one is when I got to play some ukulele third eye blind to a pack of monkeys in a jungle in Costa Rica. Now, Kevin, who had recorded this short video, then sent the video to me and then his mom. He said, hey, mom, check out the monkeys or something similar to that. Her mom responds with something like, wow, they are so nimble in the trees. I love you. Let's talk tomorrow. Now, Kevin's mom passed that evening. It was a difficult day for him, as you can imagine, but I think it was good for him to be on that long bus ride with a group of sober people at that moment. Kevin did tell me he was happy with the last interaction he had with his mom before she died, and I was honored to somewhat be there as well. Now, Kevin was a repeat traveler, and his transformation from last year to this year has been remarkable. I know his mom is proud. Again, thank you to those who attended the Costa Rica sober travel trip. You guys are the reason it was such a great trip. Listeners, I need to make a correction on this podcast. In a previous episode, I mentioned how goat yoga is a horrible idea. Yes, goat yoga can go south quite fast, but I think it's an overall great idea or concept, and goat yoga is amazing. The basic nuts and bolts of the 5,000-year-old practice called yoga is uniting the body, the mind, and the breath while on the mat. To incorporate animals in this healing process takes that to a whole new level. Even if you get a sharp hoof to a metatarsal, somebody is going to laugh. Many of us have heard of equine therapy and service animals. I think our individual and collective healing will merge with animals even more. One reason for this is the nervous system of animals are more intact. And with entrainment theory and biology, our nervous systems can heal by simply being around these animals. Another reason I've done a full 180 on the idea of goat yoga is that they are hilarious. Laughter is the best medicine. Goats are all about having fun. And if you come within a five foot radius of them, they're going to bring that fun to you. Yes, the world has some issues going on, but we also live in a world where goat yoga is a possibility. In fact, it's a thing. It's rad that somebody thought of that. I'm going to do my best to focus my mental energies into that world. And you all know I've already played a shit ton of ukulele to my goats. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this intro. As always, I had a good time putting it together. Now, in the interview with Katie, I referenced an episode I previously recorded about naltrexone. This is in episode 164 if you want to go back. Naltrexone basically is a pill or a shot that blocks the euphoric effects of alcohol. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Katie. Trying to find balance in day-to-day life is tough. I'm a working mom, and it seems like the older my kids get, the busier our lives become. We all have different needs, and it's truly a challenge to take care of everyone else while also making sure my cup remains full. For me, setting that block of time in the week to check in with my therapist is a great way to protect my energy and my mental health. It's hard to balance everything that I'm juggling when I don't feel like I'm taking any time to balance myself and my emotions. Therapy has allowed me to use coping skills to navigate recovery as well as my busy mom life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Elevator. Katie, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Katie, great to be here with you. Thank you for sharing your story with the Recovery Elevator audience. Let's get right into this. When was your last drink? Um, it was on February 12th, uh, 2023. Yeah, great job, Katie. At the time of this recording, we're always four to five weeks ahead before the release date. You're sitting about a month and a half away from alcohol. H- how do you feel? I feel great. I mean, I've gone up and down with sobriety and I always feel better when I'm sober. So <laughs> I can just say right now, like I feel, um, I feel very healthy. <laughs> Yeah, that's value bomb yeah. number one. You've been up and down with sobriety, but you always yeah. feel better sober. I, always. I feel you there. Now, give listeners a little background about yourself, Katie. Where are you from? Okay. What do you do for okay. a living? Maybe your age? Sure. Do you have a family? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> okay, so um, I'm from Olympia, Washington. Um, I am 40 years old. I was here till I was 18, and then I went off to college at um, Washington State University. Um, yay, go Cougs. It's an amazing college and I love it. It's, I love my alma mater. I have a two-year-old and, well, an almost two-year-old and an almost four-year-old. Yeah. They're two little pandemic babies. Um, and I have a husband and a dog and I am a teacher. Um, I teach elementary school and I am planning on getting my endorsement in uh, special education here pretty soon. Yeah, big time. Um, and then the yeah. fun part. And then what do you the like fun to do part. for fun or in your free time? How do you yeah. fill your time? Right now, my time is filled with uh, my children and my life is very, extremely busy. And I don't know how so many women do it and so many moms and so many dads do it with kids. It's very, very busy. We go on hikes. We live by the water. We go to the beach. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. And honestly, I love and it sounds super lame, but I love to work. I love my job. Yeah. It's one of my fun. Yeah. It honestly if, is my fun. <laughs> yeah. I've even heard it said the key to life is, is to do what you love, right? Right. If, and if you're right. doing that, you're on the right track. Fantastic. Right. Katie. Well, Katie, let's do what we came here to do, which yeah. is to share your journey away from alcohol and where sure. you're at with that. So you're 40 years old now. Maybe, maybe take it from the start if you'd like when you first yeah. drank. When you first realized it was a problem, did you attempt to moderate? Did any of those right. techniques work? Uh, I'm all ears. Okay. I'm going to try to be as focused on the right stuff as I can. So um, I, I mean, like my first drink was probably around, um, you know, uh, 11 at like a 4th of July party with my parents. And I was like, Ooh, let's put some wine in the punch. It'll be so funny. And I wouldn't consider really that like when a problem started, um, then when I got into high school, I was, I guess I, I partied a little bit uh, between the summer of eighth grade and ninth grade. And it, it, I don't think it ever was really an issue in my mind. Um, I didn't get into any trouble. I wasn't blacking out. I wasn't really even getting drunk. It was more of just like a experimental thing. And then 16 is probably when I started really going to parties and um, getting uh, like effed up if you want me to leave the F word out. Um, and, you know, blacking out, getting hungover, stuff like that. But still, I was still in school. I was still in sports. I was still doing my thing. And then 
I went off to college and I went to Washington State. And I don't know if anyone um, here that knows Washington State knows that it is, it is one of like the top 10 party schools in the nation. And I got there and it was like kaboom, like so much drinking, drinking every day, drinking for this, drinking for that, day drinking, that, that, that. Um, I got a fake ID. I could go to the bars. But still, I don't really think, I mean, yes, obviously, I believe that's a problem. But I was still going to classes. I was still getting my degree. I was still really focused on where I wanted to go on graduating. And and I got there. And then I got into my 20s. In my 20s, I, uh, so I graduated. I um I met a guy who was extremely abusive and he, he kind of took, I feel like he kind of stole my twenties for me, but um, with him, he was uh, very, very, very wealthy and it was party lifestyle. It was going to Vegas every weekend. It was going out. And the, at this point I lived in Seattle. So I lived in Seattle for 15 years after, um, co- after college, but so then there's that starts. I feel the drinking and the driving um, being really like fiscally irresponsible. I got into a lot of debt. Um, I didn't, I couldn't hold a job. I like tried to do real estate and the real estate crash hit. Uh, I felt like I got away from him about 26 or 27. And I started working at a bar. That's another thing is I've always been a bartender since college, which doesn't help. And I met my current husband that I'm with, but so I met him and when I was about 26. So I think it was like 2000, 2000 and something, eight, maybe. I think the problem starts getting really increasing. I got a DUI to jail for getting a DUI. This was in 2008? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Around okay. So you're working um, as a bartender. You meet your, your current yeah. husband. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah. yeah. That you have your two children with, um, but yeah, yeah it, DUI 2008. Keep going. I actually on my, I was driving to place that everyone goes on Memorial weekend and with my roommate and my two dogs in the back. And I was so blacked out that I got pulled over on a stretch of the road and got a ticket for speeding. And then the officer didn't know that I was drunk or whatever. And I kept going and got pulled over again and I got a DUI. So I got a ticket and a DUI in one thing. And that's me driving on the road. That's me endangering lives. And Katie, I don't know what you, you might, you're, you're, you might need to ditch the booze if line is, but that's a classic one right there. Right. You get pulled over for a speeding ticket. You blacked out. The cop doesn't know. And then later you get pulled yeah. over for the DUI. Wow. Yeah. So was that a, a big red flag of like, uh oh, or is it like, eh, just that's a one off. Let's keep going. You know, uh, it was an eh, that's a one off. Yeah. Um, I want to, con- I want to continue my, my partying life. And I, just felt really um, traumatized by my ex-boyfriend. And I just, I felt like really out of control. So I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to let it keep being out of control. So this is when it starts, you know? So then in my thirties, I think thirties is where it gets bad, like really, really bad. Sorry. (laughs) Even worse. Well, my husband, so I was still a bartender. I was working bars, like started opening restaurants, doing all that stuff. You know, I'm really good at my jobs and I'm, and I'm, going in and hungover and I'm still really good at jobs and stuff like that. And, and I 33, we got, I think at 33, we got married. And, and at this point I was probably blacking out three times a week, but I'm blacking out and I'm walking around and people don't know it and I'm losing my car and I'm, 
getting into the accidents and not knowing it. And I don't think my husband really knew what to do. Well, hang on. When you say your husband doesn't know what to do, but you said you're blacking about three times a week or early, early thirties, I think you have a couple accidents. Was this something that like, oh, we need to get a handle on this or is this, this is an issue. Your husband didn't need to know, know what to do, but did you also recognize like, oh, this is something that we, we might need to, to take a look at. Again, I think the feeling of just being out of control and not knowing where to go and not knowing who to turn to. And also, you know what? I was like, it's being ashamed, so ashamed of, your, of yourself that you don't even know who to talk to about it. I think that's my thing. Like you don't even, you don't even want to go to someone and be like, Hey, I need help because of this. That is a profound line right there. I know many listeners right now are doing this. My head is nodding. You're so ashamed of yourself where you don't know where to go. Or there's a block internally to like, we're so bad. We're so guilty. We're such right. a horrible person for getting to this point with alcohol that we don't want to go to anybody nor who I went right. through it. Sounds like you went through it. Um, I even went to somebody one time and they're like, Paul, you know, after I told them just a couple stories of my highlights, yeah. Paul, do you think you have a problem with alcohol? I'm like, hell no. I mean, I almost took offense to the question. It's just, mm -hmm. it's a trait of an addiction, right? It's, it's out of control but we're not quite caught up with it internally or mentally. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Take, take us from there. Yeah. Um, and I also think that that um, shamefulness and guilt causes a lot of lying. So you're lying to people. You're, you're saying, no, I didn't drink last night or no, I'm not drinking right now. Or you're going to work drunk or you're doing whatever. So then I, I decided one day uh, about a year after my husband and I got married, I woke up in bed and I, it was six in the morning and I was, I could not even get to the fridge to get to the drink. I had to crawl mm. to the fridge to get to the drink. Cause I was so, I was shaking. Like my body wasn't working. I started, Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. I had a seizure um, in my car while I was driving. And then I knew something was happening. Like something is happening. My body is telling me something that needs to like, and no one got hurt when I had the seizure. Um, uh, I put my foot, for some reason, really hard on the brake and like, like broke the brake of my car. Cause my foot was so hard on the car, but Katie, was I, that seizure alcohol withdrawal? That seizure I believe was me trying to withdraw myself from alcohol. I was, I was personally, I said, I can do this alone. Yeah. I can start to moderate and I can start to drop one drink each day. Right. I can, uh, go on a walk instead of having this drink or I can call a friend and not tell them I'm why I'm calling them, but call them just because. Um, so then I'm crawling to the fridge when I'm 34, 35 and I get to the fridge and I grab this. I still remember what, what drink it was. It was this can of cider and I crawl back to my bed at six 30 in the morning and I call this phone number on my phone and it's this 1-800 number to get, to go to a treatment place. Right. And I had, I had heard about treatment places like 140 grand, like, da, 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 like they're expensive. And I was like, I don't care anymore. I called this treatment place. They said, we can have an airplane come get you right now. Like you can come stay with us. Da, da, da. So I called my mom and I said, like my mom of all people, one of the people that's never been very awesome. <laughs> uh, and I said, if I need to go to treatment, can you help me with uh, my bills while I'm there? And she said, yeah, I'll do whatever. So then I went to treatment after that. I told my husband, I said, I'm leaving, pack my bags, was at SeaTac, 
was on a flight to California and I was at a treatment center for four months in California. And so that was my first time of being sober for that long since probably about 16 years old. And you were what, mid thirties? And I'm, and that was, I'm 35 when I went to the treatment center. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was there for four months and, um, uh, after that, I mean, I, I mean, it's just one thing I can, I can speed it up by saying I, it was great, whatever treatment center, like there's so many, I could talk probably for four hours on a treatment center. If anybody ever wants to talk about it, give me a call. Um, but, <laughs> um, that's a whole nother thing. It was great to be sober there. It was like, I had a lot of like epiphanies and revelations and, um, I felt so good and I was working out and I got in the best shape of my life and I was doing therapy and, and then just one day I decided I wanted to leave the treatment center. Oh, my dog was with me and I had to put her down and I said, I want to drive back to Seattle. So I got in my car and started drinking while I was driving on the way back to Seattle. So as I'm driving, however many hours I'm drinking the whole time and I got back to Seattle was like, I can do this on my own. I've been at treatment. I've been sober for four months. You know, I'm superwoman now, right? I'm healthy. So I got instantly got a, a really good paying job as a uh, manager at a bar. And of course, a bar. And my husband's like, no, don't do it. And I was like, I'm fine. You know, like, you know, nobody can stop me. And I think a lot of people are that way. Like, no one can stop you when you have something in your mind. Sure, I like, get it. I do. Yeah. So I did that. And that, I think, like everyone says they have different rock bottoms. I think this is probably the beginning of mine. Um, I started taking a lot of uh, pills prescribed by the doctor, like you're depressed. You're blah, blah, blah. And then uh, um, when I was 30, uh, on J- July 23rd of 2018, I got fired from the job and I decided to, and I don't know if I can say this on the podcast, um, to attempt suicide. And I um, took a knife and I stabbed it in the artery of my neck. And I went to Harborview in Seattle and I got sent to a mental place. And at that point, I, I don't know, I went to the mental facility for one week because they, they have to push people through so fast. Yeah. Um, but that place for some, somehow changed something in me where I just said, you know, like, I like, I almost died. You know, I literally almost died. And I was laying there on the ground being like, okay, here's the question I have right now. Why don't I care about being alive? Why don't I care about other people? Why don't I care about this? Why don't I care about that? Like I have this, like, and I just decided it was something that I needed to figure out. You know, Katie, that that's a great question. It it seems basic. You know, alcohol doesn't answer that. It it just masks the question. I saw a meme on that the other day. Like, oh, Takes it away. That's 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 great. And sometimes that question, mm-hmm. it's existentialism, right? Mm-hmm. That's a big mm-hmm. one. And it's good to have that question muffled at times. But uh, you know, yeah, absolutely what you shared about the suicide and the knife, a free game on this podcast. This is it's your story. Yeah. And thank you for being yeah. vulnerable, Katie. I know you're nervous. Um you're 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 doing great. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. Part of the reason I like doing these interviews is, is my last drink was a little bit ago, right? It wasn't quite mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. But when I hear these things, it brings back the painful mem- memories in my story. So thank you, Katie, for sharing that, for being open, for being vulnerable. And that's a rock bottom moment without a doubt. Yeah. And and were there more? Um, I want you've got 
great amount of time away from alcohol. I want to I want to reserve time for that as well. But walk walk us up to the tipping point. I think before we hit record, you said you had six months away from alcohol. Right now, you got a month yeah. and a half. Let's hear it. Yeah. Okay. So I did the suicide attempt and failed. <laughs> Thank, um, thankfully, thankfully. Yes, thankfully. Thank God. Are you serious? Like I can never. <laughs> it's insane. So I, that time it's like, okay, my husband's getting involved. My parents are getting involved. Everyone's getting involved and everyone's coming together. And they came in a way that I didn't think they would. So I felt supported. um, And I felt very grateful to have like everyone I had. I think it just like made me realize like how lucky I am to be alive. And I got a job at a elementary school. in a um, special ed classroom. And I just, for me, that was when I felt like all of a sudden my life just has purpose. I have a job. I have these kids that depend on me. I have these feelings of like, is this what it feels like to feel good in the morning when you wake up? Oh yeah. And And to not just be crawling around for these things that we need to make us feel better. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want to go back to your crawling to the refrigerator at 6 a.m. for that bottle of cider, right? We all metaphorically have that. I was shaking my mm-hmm. head before, and when I lived in Spain, I used to own a bar at 5 56, 57 a.m. I had an internal clock that would go off and I would shuffle across the street. Yeah. I live in a downtown area in Granada, Spain, to a wow. to a to a convenience store that opened up at 6 a.m. and I'd buy a box of wine and two beers, shuffle back. I wasn't crawling, but I know all this. We're like, yeah, like I've done Shuffling, that. Yeah. Three a.m., four a.m. Yeah. <laughs> anxiety-ridden, oh, oh existentialism in the middle of the night. Oh. You're, maybe your partner's sleeping, relaxed, next to you, and you just yes. you're like, what the f is going on? And yes. you, I think you painted that perfectly, Katie. Yes, um, I think it, you did too. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough, and it, it it's hard, and it's I like I feel really it. I've got hard. goosebumps because it's yeah. right there. It's not far away, and and hopefully I don't have to go back to it, but. uh all right, Katie. So what happened on February 11th or February 12th? Of the, um, of okay. So, so let's really quickly do. So then I, um, I got pregnant. I didn't drink when I was pregnant. Um, I was sober for 18 months with my baby, but being pregnant and my new baby, I decided to start drinking while I was breastfeeding. That's very, very shameful. Another story. And then we move, it's the pandemic starts, right? So then I'm like, oh God, I just lost my job. I just lost all my purpose. Like what, like, what do I do? And so now we fast forward to me, um, we moved to Olympia for the pandemic. um, And I had my second baby, which I didn't drink during that either. So I had that sober time. So August 26, 22, I had relapsed. My baby was, my new baby um, was one and he had just stopped breastfeeding. And I think because he had stopped breastfeeding, I started just loading them back again. Like I can do this again. You know, I think I was scared to be in Olympia. I think I didn't know anyone here. I didn't have a group. I didn't have anybody. August 26th, we got back from a trip in Montana. And I think my husband just in the kitchen just said, no, actually here. (laughs) I went down in the kitchen one morning because I was doing that thing again, where I had um, airplane shots of alcohol next to my bed where I'd have to take them in the middle of the night. And I, that anxiety ridden walk down the stairs to my husband. And I just said, please help me. And he said, okay, like, I'm going to help you again. So then I went to my doctor and I had seen a, a documentary about 
Vivitrol. And I don't know if anyone on here knows what Vivitrol is, but I've tried every prescription thing under the sun to get sober. And I've tried naltrexone, like naltrexone basically is Vivitrol, but Vivitrol comes in shot every 28 days. And this documentary was a Canadian document documentary. And he said, um, it's really, really hard to get in the U S and it's really, really expensive. And I asked my doctor about it and I said, can you please help me get this? So on six, I got a shot of Vivitrol and I started, so that's 28 days and it is, and I don't want to, I know that it's, it's, it's probably not accessible for everybody. That's why I feel kind of um, guilty talking about it sometimes. But if you can, if, if you don't know about it and you think you can access it, I think it's a good idea. But then at that point, it gives you the chance to start working on yourself. You can find your purpose again. You can be there for your kids. You can go on a walk and breathe in fresh air and feel gratitude. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and listeners, Vivitrol is a shot format of a pharmaceutical drug called naltrexone. This is an opioid yeah. antagonist blocker. In Scandinavia and other countries, if you go to your doctor, naltrexone or Vivitrol is is highly prescribed. And in mm -hmm. America, it's only about 2 to 3% get naltrexone. I don't know about the Vivitrol mm -hmm. shot, but I like yeah, what you yeah, said yeah. there, right? There's There's no right or wrong way to do this. And if you need a Vivitrol shot, I don't think you should be ashamed or anything about that um, to get get a little bit of time away from alcohol from that buffer, then then hell yeah, go go do it. That's an option. I don't have experience with naltrexone, but I've have I've done episodes on it. I've had good uh, good yeah. uh, testimonials, and I'm glad mm -hmm. it helped you with what you said. You're, yeah. you're able to find your footing for the next step, mm -hmm. and then what happens after that? So all this time that I'm drinking and not drinking and having babies and taking care of toddlers, I'm getting my master's degree in teaching elementary education. Like this is what I'm saying. Like I am all over the place, right? My the life is plate. <laughs> freaking chaos. Um, so then I graduated in um, December. So let's see, I'm on the Vivitrol shot. I graduated and I'm getting healthy and I'm doing my student teaching and my student teaching was just amazing. It was just like, it was so like, I honestly, like I cry over everything because everything makes me feel gratitude everything makes me feel like life is beautiful and it really is and then I decided that my my best friend was getting married in Texas and she was getting married in February and I wanted to be able to get drunk at that wedding that was just all of a sudden just all of a sudden Katie has that thought you know what I mean so then that becomes my thought and that's what's going to happen right and my doctor's like nope you're not going to do that and I'm like yep I am so I didn't take the shot 30 days before the wedding. I went to the wedding. I got drunk at the wedding. I got back. I was like, what did I do? I came back. I was back. You know, alcohol is progressive. Like it's not going to be easy on you. When you get back, it's going to be harder than it was when you tried to stop before. So I get back and I'm just instantly back to that spot where I'm buying wine at six in the morning and hiding under my seat in my car or hiding it in my closet or like whatever, or and having to have it. And so again, it's like, I crawled into my doctor's office and I said, this is what I did. I learned my lesson on this one, I hope. And obviously that shot works. And I just said, can you help me? And my doctors are so amazing, which I think helps a lot. But so I, February 12th, I got the next shot. Um, and then since then I have been working, just working as much as I can. And and it's, it's just been like awesome. And you know what? 
it sucks at sometimes and it's chaotic and everything feels out of control, but it's so much more out of control when you're drinking, like everything's out of control when you're drinking. You know what I mean? Yeah. It sucks. It's chaotic sometimes. I think you describe life, but then you add, <laughs> you add a, a, a poison more. called ethanol <laughs> on that. Yeah. And it, yeah. it blows shit up. And a lot of times yeah. people can't handle yeah. it. it. It drives people off cliffs. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And and with the naltrexone thing, I think of the episode I did. Yeah, you know, I try to. Oh, I I'd try love to, to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like two hundred episodes ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> after I stop, I'll, I'll I'll try to include it in the okay. intro. But I, but I recall some of the criticisms was it is you know recovery sobriety is it's a loaded term, but a big part of recovery is actually like you know meetings, groups, talk therapy, and one of my criticisms with now naltrexone or. Or suggestion is uh, Mm -hmm. Vivitrol is is not just take the shot, shall I say, take the shot in conjunction with AA meetings, talk therapy. And is there something else that you're doing right now or or is the shot enough? Okay. So my doctor was very concerned that I was just going to do the Vivitrol shot. She's like, I need you to be doing all these things. And I um, did AA for a long time and I don't think I'm an AA person. Some people just aren't. Um, I'm more of a smart recovery, fit recovery, that kind. So um, I'm more of like, I need to figure out why my body is like this to see if I can fix it. And I need to figure out also what can I modify in my life to make it so I don't have to have the alcohol to satisfy whatever it's doing to me, the dopamine, serotonin, whatever. So I, um, I listened to podcasts. <laughs> I started, uh, I got actually got a prescription from my doctor because she's amazing to, um, for personal training sessions. So I work out four times a week. Um, I feel like when I start to get a really, really bad craving, if I do any sort of workout, it'll just, it'll just go away and I'll feel great. I'll get that like high. I'll get that, like that high on life thing. Um, I read a lot of books and I, (laughs) I tell myself every single day, get even if it's 30 seconds of time that I have to myself how grateful I am to be here like just gratitude and then connecting with other people that I know are going through struggles even if it's not an alcohol struggle any kind of struggle you know what I mean Katie what I'm hearing is it's an incredible journey that you're on and it sounds like you're on the backside you're on the recovery component you know, alcohol's behind you. Hopefully it is. And it might not be, it might not be for me and that's okay. Yeah. But listeners is, is you're, you're hearing these stories that is rock bottom moments. I have yet to hear a, a knife through the jugular from you. It was 2009 Christmas Eve. I'd switched up some medications, antidepressants. It was Christmas Eve 2009. And I had a knife on my jugular. I was holding it. And I remember looking out at the gas station too, and it was like 2 a.m. It was in Seattle. Uh-huh. I went to UW and I like the Cougars. Oh, go, go Cougars. Yeah, go Huskies. <laughs> and I remember looking at the gas station, knife at my throat, and I had a hooded sweatshirt on. Like, I if I don't get alcohol right now, I'm going to kill myself. And I was going to go shoplift because yeah. I had to steal it. Luckily, I didn't kill myself and mm-hmm. I didn't shoplift. But I, yeah. I, I hear you. Like when you said that story, I don't think I've relayed that story on the podcast yet or again in a long time. But I went back to that. So I want to say, Katie, thank you. And it's this incredible journey that where are we really going? I don't know. Spoiler alert. I can't tell you. But earlier, no. <laughs> you, you just said you're, you're tearing up more. You're seeing the beauty in life. You're seeing the gratitude in life. And listeners, that's not that's not a year away from alcohol. That's not a moment like once I hit two years, 
I will be filled with tears of gratitude. That can no. happen at any moment. Describe mm -hmm. how those moments of, of tears of gratitude or just gratitude in general are showing up more and more. And can you pinpoint it to an alcohol-free life? Okay. So I don't know why, but sometimes I will just get like, my eyes will just fill with tears. And I think a lot of it is seeing, I don't know, lots of nature things, a skyline or a tree, other things are seeing an act of kindness. If you're looking everywhere you look, I know there's so much ugliness in the world and especially in Olympia, Washington and Seattle, there's, there's so much ugliness on the streets. Seeing an act of kindness among um, some of the people that are really, really, really suffering, um, I think uh, definitely brings that feeling for me or giving money or trying to help them does that too. I know, and, and I know a lot of people are weird about that, but I think that those moments come from, I, I guess, just seeing other people having joy, seeing um, my kids laughing, those innocent little laughs, like they have no idea. <laughs> Thinking about, I think about orca whales a lot. I love orca whales. I think about the orca whales and how amazing, like they're amazing creatures. So it's just like these, um, or, or like looking down at my legs and being like, how was I given these legs to like walk around or to go on this run? Like I'm running on this run. And it's, and one thing that, um, that really, really worked for me when I came back from treatment. One thing I had a really amazing therapist when I was at treatment in California. And he said, just pick when you're having those really bad, like anxiety, like you hate everything, like da, da, da. just sit down and just look at what's around you right now and just breathe in, breathe out and pick and literally take your fingers and pick five things that you can see within your eyesight. And it doesn't even matter. Like I can see that lilac. I can see the rock right there. And to just like he said, just surround yourself with now. You know what I mean? Listeners, let's repeat that one again. If you're feeling squirrely, I had a day yesterday, just, you know, the brain, the thinking mind was telling me like, everything's fucked. How, you know, how could you? <laughs> yeah. But I did the same thing. I sat down on my fireplace, which is made of stone. And I recommend doing what you said. But if you can sit on a, on a tree stump or in nature, mm -hmm. I just sat and looked around. I was like, all right, thinking mind, I hear you. Everything is effed. But is it really? And I love what you said, maybe on five fingers, pick five things you're grateful for because the thinking mind, it, it does a number on us at times, right? So thinking mind that gets us into this predicament of alcohol addiction, and we can't rely on the same thinking to get out of it. That's a phenomenal strategy. Earlier mm -hmm. with cravings, you said you just got to get out and run. That would be endorphins, right? Uh, endorphins yeah. mask the pain. The body doesn't know the difference between physical or emotional pain. If it's an emotional mm -hmm. pain, guess what? Endorphins are going to block that as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, exercise helps. Anything else? Uh, let's see. I mean, just things that bring, so like we're talking about endorphins, like you just said, exercise, looking around you, um, breathing in, breathing out, uh, recognizing the now, taking a hot bath, taking a hot bath with Epsom salts, like all of a sudden everything's gone. Or you know what I really, really, really get involved in is listening to music that I can relate to the words. So like um, there's this song, um, it's called, and I never know who the song, what the song's called or who it is, but it's on YouTube and it's, um, oh, it's called I Got Wasted or something. And the words just like hit you and it makes you just want to be like, if this person knows what it's like right here that's singing to me, then I have someone that like just having someone that you can feel like you're connected to, or like Macklemore has a lot of songs that you can really like connect to the words in his yeah, songs. Yeah, he does. 
Um, and he talks a lot about addiction and stuff like that. Um, Katie, you said the breath. There's a song, I think it's called by Wookie Foot. Great song. And the and the title is Don't Hold Your Breath. And it talks a lot about that. And yeah. the point is, don't hold your breath. And when I'm having those squirrely moments, thankfully, yeah. this has been a practice I've been implementing for several years now. So, but I mean, a couple of years ago, I'd be struggling be like, oh, and you haven't taken a breath in 48 seconds type stuff. And now like, yeah. I, Take the deep breath, sit down. Okay, we're all right. Just the thinking mind. Hello again. Yeah. That type of stuff. Katie, I got two more questions before we hit the okay. rapid fire round. You, earlier you said you, you need to figure out why, like why is the body, you know, perhaps out of balance in some regards. Have you any traction with that? Is it is it a childhood trauma? Is it uh do you love the taste of alcohol? I, I don't know. What do you what do you think that is? Right. Okay. This is something I've battled with a lot. Um, I, okay. So, well, I guess my bachelor's is in psychology. I have a master's in psychology and I have a master's in um, elementary education and a, a bachelor's in sociology. So I have a lot of this like, oh, and I wrote my thesis on existentialism, but um, so the, I think the, you said the balance thing, right? Like what is happening I did, but you I just repeat really fast. Yeah, well, I think I might have paraphrased it wrong, but you said, you know, you want to get to the bottom of this. What's the root? Oh, right, right, right. Um, right. Like drinking the is but causes. a symptom, right? Right, right. Drinking is but a symptom. Okay, so I think there is not one root, obviously. For me, I used to always battle with blaming it on my childhood traumas and blaming it on my boyfriend that I had when I was 20. Like, this is why I drink. I black out because I don't want to remember this. I black out because I don't want to remember that. I don't think that that's a really root of the problem. I definitely know that that we're blacking out to, to cover up symptoms. I think that we're not working through, for me at least, I have all these big feelings from childhood and childhood traumas. And, and I have never, ever, ever worked through that, Right. So I'm not an alcoholic because I have big feelings from my childhood. I'm not an alcoholic because, because my stepdad did whatever, or, you know, it's like, it's because I've never let myself feel what I need to feel and to move through those feelings. Like when you're drinking, you're really getting stuck in those feelings and it's keeping you there. You know what I mean? So sure. for me, it's not being able to move through feelings when I can move through a feeling, when I can start to feel stressed out and um, nervous, uh, like for interviews or, um, or um, I have like extreme anxiety sometimes when I can learn to just move through it, getting to the other side of it is, is like, um, I, I guess for lack of better words, the best thing ever. Like you, you, you kind of, it's, it's like almost a revelation, like. There's a big step on this journey when we weather our first emotional shitstorm without alcohol, knowing and believing, fully believing that the uncomfortable feelings will pass because we all have yeah. that voice that yes, says, this is how, yeah, this is how life is going to be for the rest of our life, whatever shitty yep. feeling we're in. But, you know, challenging that thought is a gangster move, you know, challenging your thinking mind, but mm -hmm. then letting that pass. I love how you said that. Um, and, and Katie, one more question before we get the rapid yeah. fire round. Um, what's <laughs> on your bucket list in sobriety? What's the oh. why? What's the expansive why you're quitting <clears throat> drinking? The expansive why I'm quitting drinking is because, well, I mean, number one is if I continued the way that I was, I I wouldn't be I won't I won't be alive. 
you know, I, w- I wouldn't be alive anymore. Um, I, my bu- bucket list for that is to see why I'm quitting drinking is to sit and be able to see people love their lives. And for me to be able to love my life and to just have that energy, I guess, is to see that, I guess, to feel Perfect. emotions. <laughs> to feel emotions, to be human. Thank you, Katie. All right. We have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer each question within 15 to 20 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Sure. I'm scared. Sure. All right. Number one, (laughs) Katie, what's the one thing you've learned about yourself in sobriety? That I can control my emotions. All right. Best sober moment. Birth of my child. All right. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Uh, just a good old ginger beer with lime. All right. What's the point of life? Point of life is to make it to the next day with feelings of happiness. To live life. I love it. Yeah, Katie, what's your favorite 80s or 90s band? Probably Paula Abdul. Yeah. Okay. What has recovery made possible for you? My children and my career. All right. If you had a pet cougar, maybe a Washington state mascot, what would you name it? Ralph. Solid. Pineapple on pizza? Yes. All right. Correct on that one. And last one, Katie, what parting piece of guidance could you give to listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking? Um, My parting piece of guidance that I give to listeners that I know it's hard and it fucking sucks, but it will be the best choice you can ever make in your entire life. And before we go, Katie, your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line. We heard a great one earlier. What do you got? <laughs> you might need to, to ditch booze. Should I use that one again? You might need to ditch booze if you uh, get pulled over and, and get a speeding ticket and then get pulled over again and get a DUI within an hour and don't know either happened. Yeah, that's a solid one. And, and that's almost something universal, right? Like the, the universe putting putting like a really like an emergency break on your life. It's like, yeah, let's let's stop this gal not once, but twice. And maybe this sobriety date isn't the next day for many listeners who have that rock bottom moment. But that's actually, the I think, the universe being loving, caring, kind and compassionate and nudging you back in the right direction. I had plenty of those. Um, yeah. I came out of the gate hot out of college and oh. got, a, got a DUI within four, four or five days after graduating college. And uh, I got dismissed, which was the best news ever. But looking back, like it probably so should not mine. have, yeah, it probably right? should not have been yeah. dismissed, you know, uh, yeah, Katie, the universe yeah. gives us a lot of chances. How about that? The universe gives us a lot of chances and eventually they're going to run out. It There's does. Your- it does. It's compassionate. And I've learned it rewards bravery to push through fear to push through what we didn't think we could do. Sobriety, that's the commonality here on this podcast. I feel the, the the universe rewards that. And I think if you orientate yourself in sobriety to helping others, or I think you said with your teaching job, I mean, thank you for being a teacher and educator in this world and need them. I, I think if, if if you change your stance into being more of service, and I, you know, this is AA, the foundation of that, mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think the universe, God, higher power, whatever they, whatever they call it, will reward that more. Katie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I I, I learned a lot. It brought me back, brought, brought me back to some memories that I, I need to remember again too. So thank you, Katie. Thank you very much. I think this is the third or fourth installment of you can be right or you can have peace. This is something that I struggle with. I think it was day three or four on the Costa Rica sober travel trip. We were at a pit stop 
and there was a long queue to the restrooms. Now, to be fair, there was also a long queue to the coffee station, but it was pretty clear there was a long line to the restroom. While in line, a gal just blatantly cuts the whole line. In fact, she even put her hands on somebody who had a backpack on and kind of nudged her out of the line to get to the front and goes right into the bathroom. A buddy was right in front of me and I say, oh, please don't let me do it. Please don't let me do it. And I told myself, I said, Paul, just let it go, man. Paul, just let it go. And I did let it go for about three minutes. <laughs> I was outside. I'm like, you know what? This is going to consume me for the rest of the day. I, I have to know. So I guess here's the progress and not perfection. And the progress is how I approach this person. I said, hello, this is coming with love and respect, but I have to know what happened in the restroom back there. The progress that I was hoping for was just to let that go, right? I didn't know if she had an emergency situation in her pants or not, but I had to know. But I guess the progress was how I approached that woman. And we ended up having a great conversation. Hello, Cindy from Quebec, Canada. I hope you had a great rest of your Costa Rica trip. Recovery Elevator. It all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. Get it.